Welcome to the Corporate Digital Marketing Podcast, where we examine the latest digital strategies, tactics, case studies, and technologies to help you drive your brand and your career to new heights. You'll hear from a range of marketers and industry experts to help you, the corporate marketer, to take advantage of your many digital opportunities. Here's your host, digital marketing expert, published author, and regular media presenter, Peter Applebaum. Hello and welcome again. This is Peter Applebaum, your host of the Corporate Digital Marketing Podcast, and this is episode six. Today, it's about social media. Yes, that subject that vexes so many organizations and the senior management. They say, if we talk about social media, if we go on to social media, people are going to say nasty things about us and the world will end as we know it. So we're going to speak to a practitioner today who has a lot of experience in the financial services area. And I think you'll agree that there are some very, very interesting insights as to why we as corporate marketers should not panic. The world is not going to end as we know it. There are lots of opportunities with social media, none the least of which is to find out what your customers are thinking. And I think that's obviously something that's fundamental to any type of marketing success. So we're going to have a listen to Ben, Ben Shute, and we'll hand it over to the very interesting interview with Ben. And there are lots of ways you can look at social media. What I love about this particular conversation I had with Ben is that he looks at it in a very positive way, not in an unrealistic way. He understands that there are challenges in a large corporate, which is uh, who he works for, and more about that in a minute. But uh, you can certainly take a lot out of social media and circulate it within the organization. And there are many, many benefits. You've got to be aware of the risks, but there are benefits as well. So let's hear from Ben. I'd like to welcome Ben Shute, who's the manager of social media for Australia and New Zealand for QBE Insurance. Ben, welcome to the Corporate Digital Marketing Podcast. Good to be. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. And look, just briefly, tell me, what was your background prior to joining QBE? What led you to this position? Uh, so my, my background has traditionally been media and advertising. I joined News Corp uh, back in the early 2000s or late 90s, I would say. And then uh, from there, moved into agency briefly, then on to uh, some strategy roles with Nine, MSN and Yahoo, and working with the strategic teams there in the advertising departments around leveraging digital and, and, and what then was considered social. From there, moved into working with Comsec, uh, which was the first true pure social role that I, that I worked with, um, and that was to launch their social program around the investing markets uh, and such, and then now to QBE. Uh, so leading the social charge here for general insurance, but also the intermediated business and uh, FI space, so kind of across the board. FI? F, financial institutions. Okay. So we've got all of our corporate partners. Okay. So I guess you've had the advantage of having been, if you will, on both sides of the barbed wire fence. Yes having worked for the platforms as well as for the clients as such. What are the the sorts of challenges, and I know we'll explore that further during the conversation, but what are the challenges that you can see and opportunities for both? You know, platforms themselves and portals, I think, are experiencing uh, a bit of a downward trend. And we kind of say that, you know, Facebook is the new portal and things like that. So, you know, this is where people get their news. News is curated and often, you know, curated not in a positive way either. You know, the things like the filter bubble and things like that, you kind of see. Fake news. Fake news. Uh, You see the things that Facebook wants you to see, but also that your friends want you to see. And so that's a real challenge there for platforms themselves. For businesses, though, the the challenge always has been and, and will continue to be that engagement piece, how do you actually cut through all of that in a meaningful way? How do you reach people in a meaningful way? But also then how do you listen to what they're telling you and then actually turn that around into a positive business impact? And I think a lot of businesses kind of understand how to listen, 
but then what do you do with that information? And companies, particularly legacy companies, uh, with a lot of legacy systems, very old companies, they struggle the most with it, I think, and that's the real challenge for them. But the opportunity on the flip side is immense. If you get it right, you start to create products and services that customers want. You start to create better practices as far as customer service goes, and you start to deliver something that is truly an engaging brand. Well, I guess you've, uh, the key word you mentioned there, I think, is legacy. So if you're dealing with organisations such as QBE Insurance, which has been around longer than uh, than the internet has been in existence, yes. you're dealing with uh, systems, processes, uh, even people that are not used to or not built on the premise of having to engage as directly with customers as you do now via social media and other digital platforms. That obviously is one of the challenges that you probably face internally. Would that be correct? Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, we are we are very much kind of wanting to put the customer at the centre of everything we do, as many businesses are, because without customers you are nothing, essentially. So social is truly probably the most customer-centric platform that we had and very much the coalface in terms of customer feedback and, and customer sentiment. So for us, it's you know, it's an incredibly important channel. It is the the one that, you know, and I wouldn't say it's biased from me in terms of kind of the channel that's important, but I like to think that we are the true voice of customer. When we talk about voice of customer in all its, you know, unfiltered and uh, you know, unstructured glory. Um, and you get that's where you get the richest insights. Right. And did it take the organisation much time or is it taking the organisation much time to get used to that unfiltered customer feedback? Uh, no, I don't think so. You know, we you know, and there are processes in place for prefer customers to feedback, you know, in any business. Um, well, there should be in any business. And really, I think the hardest thing for any company to get used to with social is the openness of it. It is out there and it's public and it's very much around, and people use it as a platform to escalate things to get a result. And that's understandable because it's a, you know, it's a tool and, and companies have a responsibility to really be serving their customers well. And so if you do it well though, then that feedback is also public as well. So you take the good with the bad, but it, it obviously helps you to improve the processes and, and make sure that you're getting, you know, you are seen to be and actually resolving customer issues because that engenders trust an incredible amount into you know, customers' minds. So are you seeing, are there metrics associated beyond likes or posts or, or those types of things beyond that the organisation uses and you, you feed back to the organisation and say, okay, well, we can see that it's making a difference. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there are you know likes and posts and things like that are fine, and they're you know they're a nice engagement metric, mm. but they really don't mean much in the grand scheme of things. You know, for us, the kind of core of what we do, and the core I think of what anybody does, uh, as far as a social strategy goes, is service. And so, for me, the important metrics are around the sentiment, obviously, and sentiment's a hard one to kind of measure without human interaction or involvement in that process because sentiments obviously you know particularly here in Australia it's a very specific you know there'll be words you look for or right. kind of phrasing you look for that kind of can mean one thing but say another hmm. but you know so we look at things like sentiment we look at things like and we break down you know the incoming messages into all sorts of categories that kind of we talk to our product departments it talks to our claims departments it talks to various parts of the organisation and we look at the things that matter in there so you know numbers of people you know it might be complaints number of people escalating issues is there any particular products 
that we can see are causing issues or, or have challenges around them or most feedback. And we break that down and we take that to the teams every week to kind of say, here's, you know, certainly in real time to resolve issues, but then every week we kind of report back and say, here are some of the things that we need to know this week. So the collective insights are, are gathered. And do you feel to your satisfaction, or I know you're part of a big organisation, mm-hmm. but do you feel these insights, the collective insights you're getting from consumers are acted upon and the service is improved as a result? I look, yes, I do. You know, and, and I think it's really important to note too that in any organisation, you shouldn't look at social in isolation in data. You have to take it with... You have to take it along with the other forms of feedback that you get. So if you have a customer, you know, if you ask for NPS, you know, the, you, you survey at the end of an interaction to measure NPS, if you take your things from a complaints team, whatever it might be, and then put all of that together to give you a really complete picture because what we're seeing in one channel may not necessarily be the same in another channel. And right. if we kind of put it all together and balance it out, the issues that we see as kind of the priorities may be very different to what they are in a single channel. And I think the other thing too is to kind of understand where on this kind of continuum of customer journey social can sit. Um, there's obviously some pre-purchase pieces as well, you know, that are important where there's a lot of questions around, well, if I buy this, what do I get? Yep. There's post-sales, you know, I'm going overseas, am I covered for this? And then right through to, you know, the claims part, you know, and generally what we see is we see most of our questions around claims. Okay. Um, and that's a very specific thing to each person because it means something different to each person. An emotional thing. An emotional thing, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and the, it, it's it's uh, it, and that, that kind of spectrum of emotion is, is very broad because you could have, you know, I've lost my sunglasses, that's very easy, or, you know, but my home's been destroyed by a cyclone. They're mm. kind of two very opposite ends of a spectrum. Of so how you do, but how you deal with that person, you know, exactly the same because they've lost something. But the important thing is how quickly can we resolve that for you and how quickly can we get you resolve to your satisfaction. Okay. Um, and that's really the most important metric for me is how we resolve. How many of these we're actually resolving? There are always going to be queries you can never resolve, but there could be queries that, um, but a lot of queries, you know, we measure on how we resolved it, how fast have we resolved it, and is the customer satisfied? So since you've joined the organisation, how long ago was that? Uh, about 18 months. Now. 18 months. Yeah. So have you seen marked improvements in those measures that you've just mentioned since you've joined? Yeah, we've seen improvements, absolutely. And there's always going to be things that are turning the tide on some processes can be harder than others. Uh, and turning the tide on some things can be hard. But we've certainly seen improvements. And we noticed that in some particular areas that we've kind of called out where there's some things that are easy win fixes, they've been mm. the very, you know, they're often the ones if it's an easy fix, but it has the biggest impact. So we've certainly seen that those take place along the way. Okay. So, yeah, we can see that it's making a change. Well, that's that's all you can ask for, really. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and something that a lot of marketers, particularly when their organisations are new to social media, mm-hmm. digital marketing, struggle with is what platforms should I use? Yep. Now, obviously, you've gone through that decision-making process. How did you do that? Obviously, Facebook would be the number one for you. Yeah, Facebook's the biggest for us. You've got to look at your audience, really. And you know, so we have, uh, we're a very broad business. We have a direct-to-consumer proposition. We've got an intermediated uh, one. We also have a DFI piece, which is the kind of corporate partners and financial institutions. So talking to those audiences is very different across the board. But by far and away, you find that most people will use channels like Facebook and to a smaller percentage, Twitter, as a channel to engage you and ask questions and things like that. And so we've looked at those that have a, there's both a public aspect to them where we can kind of publish content that answers questions off the bat or a private messaging function where they can engage us for, as I said before, kind of some of those more personal pieces as well. Not everyone wants to, you know, put their claim out there on Facebook to Mm. say, hey, this has happened, but they obviously want to resolve it. So we've given them that channel through there. But, you know, if I look at, so that's at QBE, if I look at what we did at Comsec, you know, for us it was more around pushing information out in very much real time, and so we used something like Twitter. Right. Because at that point there was no effect by any sort of algorithm or anything. It was real time, it was pumped out and all that sort of stuff. So, whereas Facebook, again, with an algorithm, 
you could see information that was two days old and then completely useless. Of course. So that's kind of how we evaluated the platforms. But obviously, it's kind of, you know, Facebook is mass reach and it allows us to build some very targeted audiences as far as content goes. So, you know, as well as a broad customer base, we have a very you know, broad product set as well. And so the information that we give, talk to you, you know, we give you about travel product may not be relevant if you only hold a motor policy. So how do we divide those audiences up? And then it's about ongoing audience optimization as well. So you want the platforms that have, I would say, the richest targeting opportunities possible to make sure, sure that you're hitting the right audience every single time. And you mentioned when we spoke previously the fact that obviously QB is a large organization mm-hmm. and social media is just one part of the, the digital, not to mention overall marketing puzzle. Yep. How and where does social fit into the digital matrix, yep. if you will? Yep. You know, we do a lot, as far as a digital marketing, it's a very key channel. It's big. We do a lot of acquisition work through there as well. There's a lot of brand advertising that goes through there. And, you know, if you look at our marketing mix, you know, digital and social, I would say, makes up more than half, at least. It is absolutely a key channel for us because, again, it's that audience piece. You sure. know, and, and that the insights, the sorry, not even so much the insights, but the retargeting opportunities as well. So you can kind of capture people as they come into the site and have shown interest in a product and yep. you can kind of reach out to them with very more specific messaging. And so that's what we see as a really valuable piece there. But again, then if we look at the things that we do from a content promotion perspective as well, we know if you've engaged with a piece of content around travel or car or whatever it might be, then there's kind of this propensity that we can tackle as well. So that is where I see the real value in it for us. And we're trying to now look at then how do we extend as a customer acquisition tool from a content perspective as well. And I guess it also comes back to privacy and permission and and those types of things. We've talked about this a a fair bit in the podcast, the previous podcast. With regards to retargeting, it's obviously great from a technical point of view, but you need to ensure that the customers or potential customers are comfortable with it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think think that most people kind of understand now that there's an expectation that you know their companies are using Facebook for marketing and things like retargeting you know if you haven't noticed that you've been hit with another ad from mm. a company whose website you've just visited then chances are it's not being done well but um, there is obviously things you know around reach the frequency is probably the most important one you know you can if they haven't shown interest after a few times and you've got to take that into account and they should, you know, probably be a customer that's not going to engage with you again. So you really have to do it a smart way, I think, to probably make it less creepy. <laughs> less creepy. Less. So, so just a little bit creepy. But a little bit, yeah. Well, no, it's not so much a little no, bit creepy, no, but it's no, kind no, of, no. But where it goes over the point of being fine to kind of creepy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Or ideally non-creepy. Non-creepy. Yeah, non-creepy we're we're going good. for non-creepy, yes. which is good. It's yes. always a good thing yeah, it is. in all aspects of life. Yes. So speaking about non-creepy, obviously you'd be doing cyber stalking of your competitors. And obviously you against some equally larger organizations to yourselves. What impact do you benchmark what they're doing? Do you keep an eye on what they're doing? And obviously there's commercial and confidence uh, questions here, but uh, what you can publicly divulge, what do you see your competitors doing? What impact does that have on your decision making? You know, any any company who's on social worth their soul will be monitoring their competitors. So that's a given. Yeah. So we, you know, we we keep an eye on them from a few perspectives. You know, it's not that they necessarily inform the directions that we're taking because obviously we have our own marketing objectives around the things that we want to do, but it certainly gives us an idea around what are the things that work well from an engagement perspective, I suppose. So we, you know, we'll always look at their audience numbers, we'll always look at their posts. But you know, most importantly we'll look at their customer service piece as well and kind of understand how they're serving their customers and 
for us being a customer centric organization that's the most important thing it's just like how are we serving our customers how does that compare to our competitors serving their customers and really you know the customer experience is going to be the key differentiator i think the number i saw is by 2020 it'll be more important than price and so that's the battleground for competition. So how well are we actually servicing our customers versus how well are our competitors doing that's it? A, that's a pretty bold prediction. Not Within, mine, but it is a bold okay. prediction, yes. So in three years, customer <laughs> yeah. experience is going to be more important than price. Mm. I always say that in the absence of anything else, consumers, customers are always going to choose price. So I think that gets to the essence of the opportunity, the massive opportunity with social and digital, yep. and that is to create that human relationship Absolutely. and one-on-one relationship yep. Yep. and then to invest that with greater yep. value than your competitor. Yep. And I think that gets the essence of what we're talking about. Absolutely. You're obviously very aware of that. Yeah, no, definitely. You want to be creating something that a customer wants. You know, I think for too many years, companies have created products that are good for the bottom line, but don't work for a customer. And so social is, as you know, as we were talking about before, is the richest vein of customer feedback around the things they do and don't like. And those should be the insights that are shaping product uh, and product development, but then also the in the way that you support that product. More importantly, you know, I've always said that you can't have a great product until you have great support for it. Right. Otherwise, it's just a product. Of course. And so that is kind of the thing that you should be focused on and using those insights to make sure that what you're creating is going to hit the money. It's going to be on the money for the customer. And we talked about benchmarking your competitors. What are some organisations, be it in the insurance industry or in other industries from either here in Australia or around the world that you think are doing it so bang on correct? That yeah, you can... yeah. Um, so insurance-wise, you know, we see some great work from... There are some, you know, local competitors who do it well and, you know, in different kind of categories, different insurance categories, I should say. But overseas, you know, things like people like State Farm do a really, really good job of content. But Social and digital? Social and digital, right. yeah, absolutely. I think that it's there are, but for me, where I find the most inspiration for stuff is outside of insurance as mm-hmm. well. You know, you look at some of the companies that are doing very well and not necessarily in, you know, things like FMCG or sport or anything like that. While they're great aspirational pieces of content, I like to look at the regulated industries, pharma, banking finance basically the hard stuff yeah the hard stuff because what you've got wrapped around anything that you do is this kind of layer of regulation and so you need to make sure that the work that you're doing is doesn't fall over into that kind of advice piece uh, obviously uh, and doesn't breach any of that regulation but you can still make really interesting and typically dry categories i would say as well and how do you make that fun and interesting Mm. you know you don't typically put fun together with insurance but can be. Well, I always say to clients, where is the passion point? Yep. What is the passion point in your product and service? And they'll say, I sell insurance, I sell mm. I sell ball bearings. Yep. There's no passion point. Well, that's not true, as yep. you know. It's like, what is? what do these people use it for? What is their emotional engagement? The fact yep. that they have insurance, yep. it's the old classic insurance salesman's thing. It's like you have your family has security if something yep. happens to you. And that's absolutely valid. Yep. And that's a way, again, a way of investing your offering hmm. uh, with value that yep. might not otherwise have. Otherwise, it's just insurance or it's just yep. a boring product. Yep. And that's marketing. Yeah, that's absolutely. fundamental marketing. Absolutely. And the thing that we're trying to do, the thing that we, you know, insurance in particular is one of those things that you, you buy a policy and then you don't even think about it until it's either time for renewal or it's time for a claim. Right. So there's this kind of wide gap of at least a year between when, you know, or sometimes, sorry, at a year between renewals or you know, claims even earlier, but there's a gap. What do we put in that gap to make us interesting and to make you feel like you've made the right decision? Because the time that you need us is the time that you want to claim something. So we want to make sure that when it comes time for you to claim, you have the best experience possible. But along the way, we want to offer you 
information and guidance around how you can minimise the risk of ever needing to claim. But when you do claim, we obviously want to make sure that we're, you know, we're there and we're doing the job. So because word spreads exactly. via social in it, particular. Word spreads via social. And so exactly, and that's it. so for us, it's around the what the work that we do from a content perspective kind of fills that gap. But then for work from a service perspective, we do kind of fills that last piece there around claim. And that's kind of, our, I suppose, our breadth of what we do. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of insurance companies don't get that. Or if they do get that, they're, they're working their way towards that outcome using yeah. that uh, yeah. expression you get on our school reports. I, for example, just changed my health insurance after being with the same organization yep. for 20 years. And, I've, uh, and I guess one of the big things that insurance companies rely on is apathy. It's yep. like you, you've got your insurance and it's like I just pay the premiums yep. every month or every quarter or every year, whenever. And yep. it just, unless I need it, I don't really focus on it. So it comes back, I think, to the shopping list. If you've got a shopping list of benefits that are meaningful to your customers, that's where it helps. And as I say, part of that is that customer experience, which you were talking about before. So we talked a little bit about customer feedback in the past. And obviously, when it comes to such things as cyclones, as Queensland in particular has experienced Mm -hmm. over the last few months since we've spoken, and tragedies like that, that's where probably the pressure is not just on you, but is on the entire insurance Absolutely. industry. Yep, yep. So how do you think, uh, how do you manage that customer feedback, uh, particularly where emotion and tempers are frayed and the, yep. uh, people are in a heightened state of really, I need someone and yep. something right now. Yep, yep. Uh, those, you know, those times in particular, you know, and it's not just the catastrophe, but obviously more so during the catastrophe. As you said, there's a heightened state of emotion. It's all about people's lives getting back to normal and so the absolute most important thing that you can have in any kind of service aspect is empathy and that needs to be first and foremost around the experience even if you ever as a business or an organization have done nothing wrong during the process you have to identify and feel with that customer and it's hard not to Um, you know because really when you think about it we're all customers of something and we've all had a similar experience and so you need to you need absolutely empathize with the customer and then try and work out and and oftentimes there is a little bit of work to do to get to the actual root of what the problem is and so there's a persistence element in there as well it may take three or four goes and interactions with the customer to kind of get to of all these things that are an issue what's the absolute core thing that we can fix right now that'll make the biggest difference and then it's just a matter of actually having a support structure in place for the service or a social service operation to make sure you can get a resolution on that. So you need to have key contacts through the business. You need to have escalation points for when you need to move something up very quickly. And you need to have SLAs in place around how fast you're actually going to get back to a customer as well. So you know, the expectations of response times and things like that have dramatically increased or decreased. They expect a response in, in less time, let's put it that way, sure. around how they want, how fast they want a business to get back to them. So, you know, in some cases, their expectation is, I want something within the next 15 minutes. That's Do you find that that varies according to the platform? For example, I think Twitter, which is what you yep. mentioned before with yep. Comsec, you would think that someone should be at the other end and should answer yep. almost instantly. There's, you know, it's interesting. I don't think it differs via, it differs per person it's not a per platform thing because i think we you know we've seen both but it differs per person and you know i've got this view around slas are great but we as a business are the people who set those slas based on what we think is the best practice and what the customer level of tolerance is and i think slas are something that you should constantly be reviewing Mm -hmm. because really from a customer's end it's a service level expectation and the more interactions they have with different businesses particularly those that are digital and social very much at their core is that they what they have is a their expectation of the service that they should be getting has dramatically increased. They've got much higher expectations. Those expectations are changing all the time. So, for any business, the most important thing is to 
set an SLA, monitor against that and understand, obviously strive to achieve it, but then monitor and see, well, from what customers are telling us, is what we're, the time that we're using to respond, is that acceptable to customers or not? And then under that review, then work out, is it a resourcing issue? Is it a platform issue? Is it a technology issue? And what is it that we can do to make that better? And that is what anybody, you know, getting back to somebody in a very timely fashion, particularly in insurance, is probably the most important thing for us. And then obviously resolving that issue to the customer's satisfaction. Equally important, I would say. And look, we know that uh, social media gets a lot of people who are complaining. And that just comes with the territory. Do you find that many people when you, because I know you bring a lot of heart to your job and a lot of commitment, which is wonderful. Do you find that many people who have had their issues resolved actually go back on to Facebook and say, wow, QBE, well done, thank you so much? Yeah, some of them will, and it'll usually be kind of on the tail end of a conversation Mm. that we've had with them. So other people will come back and and praise, and you you will always get a much smaller percentage of praise than you do complaints. It's the nature of the platform. Mm. But we do find that when we can get it right, we do see that. And, yeah, we make sure that that feedback then gets circulated to whoever it was that actually resolved the claim. And we also make sure that it gets called out in reporting to the wider business as well because that's really, you know, I think that... We, can, we as, a, as a team, when we report on all the things that are all the things that we're hearing from customer feedback, it's very easy to get bogged down in the complaints part of it and the negative. Yeah. But it's also squeaky wheel type squeaky, thing. Absolutely, yeah. but it's really important to call out the positive as well to kind of, of say, you know what, it's not all bad. Uh, there is a lot of really you know, there's a lot of green shoots here that we can actually work on, you know, capitalise on. But it's important to know that we are doing a good job as well uh, because that obviously helps keep the the morale of you know people who are doing it day in, day out. And to that point, you talked about escalating uh, possible complaints, but do you escalate those positive comments and the feedback? And, yeah, absolutely. And from yeah, a recognition point of view? Definitely. It's not just to the, it's not just to the person who achieved the outcome, it's to their managers as well, right. to make sure that that's been you know, noted and we call it out again in the report that goes to the wider business so everyone kind of sees it. Great. Okay, changing tack a little bit. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're in sponsorships, yes. being a large organisation, the Sydney Swans, the AFL team here in Sydney. Does that help to fuel positive social media comments for you? And if so, how do you leverage that? Yeah, you know, for us, a lot of the activations that we've done to date around sponsorships are mostly competition-led, obviously. And and I think that they work really well from a positive perspective because there's obviously a very engaged fan base in those things as well, and they can be part of something, you know, the opportunity to win tickets to a box or, you know, to Mm. meet the team and things like that. So they're great. But, you know, we... We do see that they tend to be the things that engage people the most, to be honest. And we do quite, we're quite heavy on the sponsorship stuff that we do. You know, we've, it's not only, it's, it seems to be a lot of ball sports, it's obviously the Swans. Uh, there's the Perth Glory as well. Right. There's the Roosters. There is, and then things like, uh, sorry, the Swifts as well. Yep. So netball. And there's things like the Zoo as well, which everybody loves the zoo, Opera Australia, uh, some other things there. And then we've also got a charity aspect as well, so the QBE Foundation that we do a lot of work around, and so there's a community piece there of giving back, and that also then generates a lot of positive sentiment, which is great. Which you know, which is great. I worked on the Sydney Olympics on the website and dealt with sponsors a lot, and I always felt that they left so many opportunities and, mm. quite frankly, money on the table because they didn't leverage their sponsorships well enough or yep. hard enough. Yep. Do you feel that... Uh, Obviously, you've got competitions and you get engagement mm-hmm. there, and that's great. Mm-hmm. But do you feel that th- through that investment the overall organisation makes in the sponsorships, it can be leveraged in other ways and can achieve results? Yeah, I think there's there's always uh, there's there's a lot of different ways to do it and a lot of different ways to cut and dice it. And I think that there's I think there's always opportunity for greater activation of sponsorships. 
a lot of the stuff that we do with it, you know, is around those kind of competitions for punters, for tickets and things like that and boxes. But there's also an aspect of, you know, brokers as well and how yeah. do we use the, the sponsorships to, to engage our brokers. So I think it's different per sport as well. It just depends on the access and there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of other things to think about. There's other sponsors and what rights they have as course, well. So, yeah. But really for us, the important thing is making sure that, you know, we can use assets from a social perspective as well because that's where we're going to set the highest engagement and uh, look this is getting a bit beyond social but do you uh, have arrangements with those sporting organizations where you can cross promote qb products and services or is it just is it more passive than that uh there again depend it will depend on the sponsorship so you know and those are things that'll be negotiated (laughs) okay so in five years time where do you see qbe's social media program i know five years is a long time Six months is a long time because we just don't know where we'll be. But in your crystal ball, your ideal scenario, and we're going to talk about the broader industry in a minute, but from a QBE point of view specifically, you've seen how far the organization has come in 18 months since you've been here. Five years' time, where are we going to be 2022? 2022. Look, service will will still be the call. Service should be the call for anyone. And these are are the platforms that – and since day dot, these are the platforms that customers have – used to engage businesses from a service mm-hmm. perspective that's not going to change i don't think so i still see service at the core i see a much richer content experience what does that mean so you know at the moment and i think not just us but a lot of businesses it's a lot of just it's a lot of posts there's a lot of pictures a lot of videos but there'll be more immersive experiences involved and how do we kind of take people to the heart of something that we're doing how do we use you know, video in particular is the big one and video will be big i would say for us in the next you know 18 months to two years, we'll be doing more and more. We're doing more of it now than we were 12 months ago. But I think there's that piece there. And then I also, but as far as from an organisational perspective, I think that what I'm really trying to embed is social as this layer that goes across the entire business. So what are the aspects of the social program that we can plug into every part of the business and then use that to enrich either from a data perspective from a learnings perspective, from a product development perspective, and from a service perspective, how do we kind of plug all those pieces into this mm. social thing? And so, it's not that's a hard change to make because you're trying to get buying across a business. We're fortunate that we've kind of got buying across most of the business now, but really, I want it should be an absolute integral part of the business as thought of up front in a lot of aspects of what happens. Okay, and from a broad perspective, uh, where do you see digital marketing? Broadly, not just for QBE, but yeah. broadly, where do you see it will be in three to five years' time? Sure. I mean, look, video is going to continue to grow from a digital What market. does that mean, Ben? Because we've got, we go on YouTube and we've got videos, 10 yeah, gazillion yeah, yeah. videos uploaded yep. every minute. Yeah, look, I think, you know, I think what we're, we're seeing now is a lot more use of video to kind of, as I said before, is that immersive experience as well. And so, you know, taking it from just a two or three minute video that you'll see on YouTube or a 30 second clip and actually then creating you know, through VR experiences how do we kind of create more around that 360 video how do we put somebody at the center of something which is really cool you know we saw something the other week from um one of the football clubs in the uk but a very immersive vr experience there and so so putting the viewer in the middle of the action yeah yeah absolutely yeah and so that's kind of cool you know then but i think that i think the really important thing to think about with any of these new things that comes along is is it going to make a difference to the customer in the end? And so for me, the most important thing is how are we going to evaluate every opportunity that comes along in the next you know, few years? And, you know, and digital marketing in general, I think you know what you'll see is a lot of things that will come up. They'll be hot for about a, you know two or three months right. and then they'll just kind of disappear. But as I said, I think video will continue to be huge. You know, VR and uh, AR are kind of taking off as well. So... 
But again, it's going to be how do you create meaningful experiences? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Ah, one uh, of my favourite expressions <laughs> when it comes to digital. <laughs> yes, and I think that's, that there needs to be a real, a very rational evaluation of all the opportunities that comes along because there's a lot of rubbish out there. Uh, we marketers, uh, as you know, Ben, we have this almost innate love of the shiny new things. Yep. yep. And then the hard heads up uh, on the next level up, yep. where whatever the organisation are going to say. Yep. Bloody marketers, yep. there they are spending money on things that, how is it going to help us to get a result? And I dare say that pressure yep. is never going to change, that tension. No, and I think there's a, uh, a lot of businesses put this, this push on being an early adopter of stuff and mm. people wanting to be an early adopter. But the risk that you run with being an early adopter is to also be the person who tried it and it didn't work. Right. And so for me, I like to kind of, as I said, I take the very rational view of the opportunities that come along and then kind of, you know, we look at how other people may use them, not necessarily here, but also overseas and in other industries, and then kind of go, ultimately, we're not the consumers of content, but you know, as a marketing team, we will be because we you know, we love everything we create. Of but course. It's fabulous. It is fabulous. And so, <laughs> you know, it's always great. But what have we learned from the stuff we've done before and what we know about our customers, if we put this out, what do we think their engagement will be or what do we think their reaction will be? But more importantly, what do we want them to do with it? Mm. And I think that you know, I've seen, you know, in, in past trials before, a lot of content has been created without that kind of end view. And, you know, we talk about being customer-centric. Everything has to be customer-centric. It's not just about being there when customers need you to be. It's, you know, it's about creating things for them and things that you want them to engage with that's going to make a difference to their lives, but then also have an outcome for them. Like, you know, there's feel-good brand pieces are great, and they certainly position companies as well. But if you're giving customers something that's important information, what do you want them to do with it? Do you want them to, you know, there's an acquisition piece as well. It's just like, do we want to fill out a form or get a quote or whatever it might be? But do we want somebody to take that? You know, we did a lot of catastrophe preparation content just before Debbie hit. Not even just before. We had a, you know, we've been working on it for a while. Now right. we're coming into that season. So this is information that we wanted to make sure customers have. I don't necessarily care that you're a customer of ours, but I want to give you this information that will help you be prepared for that. And so that, for me, is the most important thing because then there's obviously that then kind of makes people think of QBE next time. And so there's a, there's a you know, the content marketing aspect of it. Sure. And that, for me, is really important around making sure that we're hitting, talking not just to customers, but prospective customers. And I think that everybody, I think that's the important, the other important thing is to realise that everyone's a customer or, you know, potential or otherwise. And how you, what do you want them to do with the piece of content that you put out? Well, that's the nature of, of being an insurance company, I guess. Yeah. So final question, Ben, we ask all of our guests this, and what are your top three tips for corporate marketers who are looking to optimize their social media or digital marketing initiatives like where they may have, the organization may have tried something, yep. they may have tried something, yep. they may be down the track, they may be at the beginning of the track. Yep. What are your top three tips for what they should do? Yep, um, listen first. Listen first is my absolute core thing that I take everywhere with me and the core message I put into everything. But it's, you know, listen first. The customers are the richest vein of information for any business yep. and you want them to be, you want them to be the people who are guiding. Talk to everyone is also the other thing. And when I say talk to everyone, talk to everyone internally. Um, be very, very open and free with the information that you're willing to talk about. Is that tip two or, or subset of tip one? No, that's tip two. <laughs> okay. That's tip two. So listen first, but then also, to, you know, but make sure you share a lot internally. So two sets yeah. of listen. Yeah, absolutely. But, but but make sure that you're open to kind of sharing with the people as right. well. You know, there are there are opportunities everywhere within a business and, you know, the richest assets from a, a knowledge perspective as well about how the business works internally is, is the people within it who do day to day. And it's knowledge they have inherently, but they don't, they don't necessarily use it or think that it may be something that can be useful to a program. So, you know, something that I love doing is I'll talk to anyone who asks me a question about social. 
I will make myself available for any presentation for anybody who wants to actually know about more about it. You know, right from a product team through to a claims team who will kind of want to understand how they're doing and deep dive into some issues and, and things like that. So, but then also just ask people questions about what they do is the important thing too, because there are people and pockets in any business, and particularly one this large, there are pockets of people in this business who have so much knowledge about particular topics. And then the third one I would say is um, be very granular with the data and all the way that you analyze the data. So kind of coming back to those first two pieces of insights, I suppose, and they're mm-hmm. all kind of linked, is I, my view is that there is no such thing as too much tagging. So every social interaction that comes in with us, there are you know, multitude of tags that go against them and we're always adding new tags as we see things come up because what that allows us to do is actually get to the core of an issue. Um, you know, if we see a spike in wait times or whatever it might be, right. A, we can use that as an early warning system to go, maybe we need to put more people on phones. But also we can then interrogate how long were those wait times as well. And then it comes back to what is a customer expectation of a wait time? If I call up, you know, is 10 minutes okay to sit on hold? Is it 15 minutes? It's what's, never what's, okay. It's man. never okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. But it's, it's never okay. But it's like what point... You know, obviously, we get we see my, or if we see a lot of people complaining about spending ten minutes on the phone, and obviously we know ten minutes is too long, and then we work out what's the root right. cause of that and go back to it. So it goes back to the granularity. Absolutely, and that yeah. granularity will help you identify those yeah. issues. So you know, break down as much as you can because those will be the things that will help you improve the business. It's very easy to say, hey, we've got a problem in car claims, but what are those problems? Well, now and what? And now, yeah, and yeah. now what? And so, and that culture gets to the absolute core of it. I always say with digital marketing people, corporate executives, all of us, we're in the now what business because just looking at things in isolation, or it's like we got a great number of likes or engage or, yep. or comments, those sorts of things. Great. Now what? Yep. And that's very important because the organisation is not just a one and done in the main. Yep. We want to have a relationship with our customers, so yep. that's where the now what comes into it. Absolutely, Ben. Really have appreciated your openness and your insights because I think it's uh, it really. Uh, a lot of people look at large organizations such as utilities and insurance companies, financial services, where they have these millions of customers in the main or, or however many you have and, and just wondering how on earth do they do it? Well, I think the great advantage we have of anyone who's listening to this podcast today is that we now have far greater clarity than we had uh, 30 odd minutes ago because uh, <laughs> you've given us a lot of great insights. So thank you very much for your time Our and uh, we'll speak to you again soon. Excellent. Thank All you. Best. Thank Cheers. you. Well, I hope you had a lot of fun listening to what Ben had to say. He certainly uh, is a a very switched on guy when it comes to digital marketing and how it sits, not just in a corporate organization, but in the the broader marketing context. And I think that's the, they're the sorts of insights we're looking for when listening to this podcast. So thank you again for listening. The show notes will be available at tickyes.com forward slash podcast. And we'll speak to you soon. Bye. You just listened to the Corporate Digital Marketing Podcast. If you have any suggestions about what you'd like us to talk about in future podcasts, email us at info at tickyes.com. For the transcript, links from this episode and other information, go to www.tickyes.com and click on the podcast link. Have a great digital day.